the only thing you could do to mitigate risk is to build skills that are transferable and to stop thinking about industry first and start thinking about competency first. In many ways, when I look back at the stuff I've done, the secondary thing was the job. And the primary thing was like, what is the skill that I am honing while I'm doing this? Like selling shit, right? You know, if you learn how to sell, it doesn't matter if you're selling haircuts or computer chips or houses or whatever it is you're doing, right? The set of principles that make you a good salesman remain the same be personable, understand what the problem is, articulate it in an incredibly compelling way, provide great service, blah, blah, blah. Your ability to contribute is based on a skill set that would be valuable in another place. Oh, welcome to another episode of Not Investment Advice. you got the NIA boys here today, Jack Butcher, Trung Fan, Bilal Zaidi. we got the AMA, AMA, Ask Me Anything, leftover questions from a couple of weeks ago, some really good ones we didn't get to, and some really fun ones. Let's get straight into it, boys. This one is thoughts on the greatest invention in the last 100 years. Let's just, they, they said and last 10. Let's just go 100 years. Wow. This could be a whole episode. So uh, let's start off with the fun. And, and you might need time to think, but um, I feel oh, like no, I Trunk, a, you got a few yeah, in your head already for this one. Your boy Trunk hit barely.ai for a quick... <laughs> Those yeah. large language models for a couple. So let me throw let me throw a couple out there. Let me I'll throw a couple out there and let you guys debate it. The three that I was given, I asked for the 10 greatest inventions ever, period. So I'll list off to you what I got. Yeah. I got electricity. So that's 19th century. Uh the wheel, 3500 BC. <laughs> I love that blog. I, I like, prefer oh, yeah, this question. I prefer the wider question of no, all no, time. No, but let's do both. We'll do both. Yeah. The printing press, 1440. I have oh, very yeah. strong feelings about this one. Uh, the internet, so that's 20th century. That was uh, developed uh, via DARPA, the Defense uh, Advanced Research Projects Agency for the United States. Um, penicillin, 1928. Underrated. Vaccination, 1796. A little bit controversial in the years since. <laughs> the combustion engine, late 19th century. Here's one, big one. Semiconductor chips, mid yep. 20th century, steam engine, uh, 1712, uh, agricultural revolution, 10,000 BC. So anyways, uh, the three, the, I'll throw out these three, if you guys had any others, three for this uh, past century, internet, uh, penicillin, and uh, semiconductor chips. Which one would you pick of those three or another one? Go it's, it's, uh, I'm gonna say, go on, go on, go on, Jack. There is no second best invention of the last 100 years. <laughs> <laughs> Are you saying Bitcoin? Jesus yeah. Christ. You Jack said, oh Butcher has to keep it on brand here. There we Pump go. In the bed. Dude, I, I mean, Bitcoin I, I, beats no. antibiotics. Bro. It beats transistors. Beats, it, beats. it beats the internet, which enables it. It's so on, ridiculous. Jack. There's no way. Bitcoin. Okay, yo, Jack's. I mean, I don't know if he's shit. Like Are you Jack serious? Keep, okay. Jack's Jack. being Boys, come steel back in a hundred years. Come back yeah. in a hundred years and we'll do it. <laughs> I love when okay. we got, just for people who know, when I asked Jack, how would you describe the NIA podcast? He said with a straight face, it's like a, what, what did you say? It was something along the lines. It's a parody podcast. And that's, when you said that, I was like, that's the perfect way that's, of that's describing the pod. I mean, dude, Jack's, Brilliant. I, I, listen, I, we usually don't take super strong positions here. Uh, uh, just dumping on someone. Jack, that, that's, that, no. Uh, Jack is wrong. It's an absurd uh, example. So, but well, I love it. But I like how Jack says, come back in 100 years. Blah. 
Uh, the three I mentioned, penicillin, semiconductors, internet, uh, or something else. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Penicillin, basically antibiotics though, right? Or like yeah, yeah, med- those yeah. sort of medicines. So we'd say semiconductors. Obviously, I feel like the obvious answer, we would all naturally just think internet because of how much has exponentially changed since then. But I guess probably penicillin, antibiotics, probably takes just because of how many people that's impacted, right? Like, And how much, if you just think of the actual impact of how many people were just dying of getting a cut? Dude, you, no, I was literally about to say that. You used to die when you got a paper cut. Yeah, literally, that's what. That's what. And and, and uh, the way that penicillin penicillin was found, it was an accident. Basically, found a mold in a lab. I think, forgot the guy's name. I think Flem, Fleming or something. But here's here's my point. I'll, I'll add something. So Blah actually picked the more reasonable one. I'm still laughing at Jack. There's no second best. Blah, did you have a, hold on. Blah, did you have another thing though? Because what I like, what Jack did, which is, I, I do appreciate, he went outside of the three that uh, that the internet gave. No, no, of the, course. Well, AI I will model. say it. So uh, similar you to you. You want to tune up that model on barely. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It didn't even include Bitcoin. No, no. You want to know so funny? Jack would be prompt engineering it until it said, Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What would my, the next question would be? What would Michael Saylor say yeah. is the greatest yeah. no, invention of all what time? What would create the hardest asset in the world? Uh, um, go ahead. Well, so, trying similar to you, I did type it into a large language model, uh, and the only the other ones I'll, I'll mention here. It said television, antibiotics, nuclear power is interesting. That's a that's a yeah. I mean, we'll come back to that. Transistors. No, that's a really yeah. Yeah. Uh, space exploration technology, interesting. To, I probably wouldn't say that, but someone who knows more about it might. GPS, microchips, renewable energy technologies, DNA sequencing, and genome mapping. Because I think those printing, things, I'm not sure to Jack's that. point, ask me in 100 years is the point. That's like the, the point. Well, yeah, I think even of genome sequencing. I think it should be 100 years and ever. I think it should be 100 mm. years and ever. Last yeah, yeah, okay. the question. yeah. Double entry accounting. Double entry, bro. There we go. Double entry accounting. Oh my, love that one. I would so try my final answer. You like that one, but you don't like Bitcoin. Who wants to be a millionaire? My final answer (laughs) is antibiotic slash uh, the pills. Basically, the stuff that stops us from dying at 27 versus 77. I want to add a couple points here. I love what, first of all, Jack is probably a good point. I got a hard on when he said double uh, double ledger accounting or <laughs> double entry accounting, and then Jack's See a like, face fan so, came out there. So you like <laughs> double entry accounting, but you don't like bi- like explain this to. So he made up a great point. What did double entry accounting do? It literally seeded capitalism, invented in Venice, and everything that came through that. And people want to hate on capitalism. It created a system where you could uh, properly track money, which is just information, right? Jack, Jack, what is money? <laughs> When Jack told me to listen to oh, 30 hours. 13 what, hours. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What is money? Right? It's a f- way to transfer information. And double entry county was the key, one of the key inventions in, in that. So I, I want to put right, out I two would clarify and say transfer energy. Cause that's yeah, what transfer we, energy. Yeah. Well, Jack listed off a couple of things. So I want to, I want to add a, a, two more thoughts about the sugar cube years. Tesla. One might say as well. Well, in a hundred years, that will be the answer. Yeah. So, Jack, you mentioned uh, you mentioned a couple of things that are quite interesting, actually. You mentioned nuclear energy and the pill. Is that you, Bilal? No, Bilal said that. that. Okay. The, I'll, I'll tell you some other ones. There's different ways to, to cut this up and tease it, right? If you're looking from, uh, you know, I think, I think penicillin, penicillin is, a, is a 
Maslow hierarchy type of answer, right? You, you can't enjoy the fruits of Bitcoin or saving money if you're dead. So that's hitting a certain level, right? Yeah. Uh, I think that's where nuclear energy actually gets interesting. I'll tell you what the atomic bomb and the, the splitting of the atom did is um, geopolitically, you could argue that the invention of the atom bomb, the amount of lives it affected, right? Did it stop certain wars from happening? Right, because now you have nuclear deterrence and people have mutually yeah. assured destruction. The idea that if you go, America never invaded the Soviet Union during the Cold War because everybody's afraid that we just nuked the entire world, right? So people have done calculations. How many lives did you save from that? Yes, certainly many smaller scale conflicts led to the death of tens of millions of people, but could it have been worse or not? We don't know because of the threat. So. That's an interesting one. The other one that I don't know which one uh, it says you mentioned, the pill is an interesting one from a cultural standpoint. So what did the pill do? The pill allowed women, which for 10,000s of years could not control the reproductive cycle. And what has been the sociological implications of that over the past five decades? Women entering the workforce, delaying families, being becoming the primary breadwinner. How's that changed? I think there's many ways to look at the most important inventions but I think all these things and the communication stuff, you know, radio, television. So I think, like Bilal said, this could have been its own freaking episode because each of these would have their own reward, award, right? It's like the most culturally influential, the pill. The most uh, geopolitically important, nuclear bomb. The most important period, penicillin. So uh, you got to pick great, one. Great question. Yeah. <laughs> well, Bitcoin. No, no. So Jack, uh, Jack had a thought. <laughs> so funny. Jack, did you have any more thoughts on the past hundred years? Uh, uh, no, I gave you my hundred year one. I mean, my, my, <laughs> no, my, but do, do you have any more thoughts on like these other things that we discussed? Um, no, you did very eloquently ex- described it. And I think this is just an infinite rabbit hole, basically. But <laughs> I think yeah. that, you know, I would like to be put on record as obviously the invention of products that extend and preserve life are incredibly important. <laughs> yeah. Fair. I like that. Jack. Sounds well, like backtracking Jack to me. But, yeah. yeah, he just, what? He's he like a Homer no Simpson meme. He's coming. He's like, listen, Bitcoin. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. The second right. order effects of, of certain technologies are yeah. yet to be unveiled. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's a, that. That'll be another question for the future, though. That, I do like that. No, it, obviously, you were messing around a, a little bit there. We'll come uh, back good, to episode ten thousand, boys. Exactly. And we'll we'll get see. Play on when Jack we're cryogenically be... podcasting. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, we're, we're because just we bought enough Bitcoin to get in access to the cryogenic freezer, right, boys? We could still transmit an IA. Yeah, we yeah, go. Well, that would work advice. by then. All right, perfect. All right, the great, great. Great first question. I can't remember who asked that, but great question, whoever. Well, let's, let's talk about the other ones. We got all time now. So, oh, yeah, go on. Yeah, so we'll, let's, let's tee it up. Blah, oh, all time. It. I mean, the wheel is an interesting one, though. Without the wheel, how much would have... Uh, I mean, how much happened with the wheel? I mean, electricity, obviously, is a big one. But... Um, printing I mean, this, you know what? This printing printing is a big one, too, we, actually. We got yeah, to talk about... Yeah, we have to talk here about Michael Saylor. The What Is Money series. <laughs> The history of mankind is about energy, right? That's the history of mankind. The history of the human race is about finding sources of energy 
and using them efficiently. What did the wheel do? Transport a machinery. You could travel much further than you could otherwise, right? And you could also, the wheel obviously led to the different types of leverage you can do to build things. Super important. Well, that takes us back. Fire. What does fire do? We've talked about it on the, on the podcast. Why is fire actually an important invention? Obviously, the warmth level. What's the other part? You can cook. So now you can eat a dead cow or a dead piece of meat. And instead of burning all the calories, chewing it. Jack, are you, you laughing because he says, let him cook? Or what? Yeah, what let, him cook. Exactly. let him cook. Let him cook. Me too, yeah. Just let me go. Is that crazy how our brains have been taken over? Like a normal <laughs> phrase is just <laughs> yeah. like, well, I laughed as well. And it's so, anytime, yeah, that wasn't a trunk specific one. I'm sorry, trunk. I'm just also actually, laughing about how we're talking about the invention of fire on this podcast. Yeah, incredible. Yeah, we've got a lot of rain. No, but I mean, like, our opinions on this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, that is I mean, why like, it's the parody. There you go. Actually, you want to know what's funny? Uh, here, you know what? We can be a little bit more, we, we can get a little bit more serious about this. But you guys all seen the chart, right? It's like the human GDP. It all blows up in the 1800s, right? It's because steam engine. Steam engine is. The invention of the steam engine. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. The James Watt and the steam engine. You all been to the Science Museum in London, right? People go oh, to the yeah. Science Museum. That's a great and go museum. Look. Yeah, it's an unbelievable museum. For kids especially, but for, for anyone. For kids. So what happened with the steam engine, right? Oh, sorry. Uh, James Watt improved it. Thomas Newcomen invented it. It kicked off the Industrial Revolution. Now you can use coal, create steam, and you just have a whole, we're talking about energy here. The amount of energy that you can produce is unheard of for the human race. This is why this dinky little island that our, my two co-hosts here come from took over the world, right? This dinky is why little cool, island. That's this hilarious. dinky little island in like the North Sea takes over the world, runs colonies in 25% of the, the known landmass because they found coal and figured out they can create energy with it. Um, so, but I'm going to, you know what I will say? And uh, I'll tear off for you, what Jack mentioned it, the printing press. Uh, because you know this podcast, last episode we're talking about X. Jack's it would be no NIA psychic. without the yeah. printing press. The printing I mean? press. We need to talk about the printing press, people. The distribution and dissemination of ideas, right? We love the internet here. The printing press was the internet of the 1450s. Johann Gutenberg, this gentleman, in 1450s. Germany, I love right? that you knew the, the 1450s. decade. 1450s. <laughs> what did he do? The most strong fan thing. The four yeah. is 1454. This. Uh, let me. Let me. You know what? Let me give Jack here. Jack, you want to let me cook? Let me cook on the printing press a bit. Please do. Why was the printing press such a important invention? It was actually nominated as the number one in Life magazine called it the number one invention when they did the 1999 greatest inventions ever. What, what were people doing to communicate ideas before the printing press? You would have anointed individuals. You would have the elite class. You would have the Harvard professors of their day. They were like, they were scholars of the Bible. You would have, in a town, you'd have one literate person. And he'd be reading to you this, this, this immaculate book written by God. And he would tell you what it said. What did the printing press do? It gave access to that. That immaculate knowledge, whatever you think of the Bible, to any single person that wanted it. And Johann Gutenberg, Gutenberg Bible, everybody knows that name. He's like, oh, 
man, it takes a really long time to make books. You're using my hand. What if I just look at this grape press? Because he lived near a winery. What if I just took the technology of this grape press to press books? Okay? That's, That's what he did. Wow. So how and, and now we're talking works, about boys. how innovation <laughs> works. And now let me add one more thing for Jack to cook on, because I know this is right down in Jack's realm. When Jack said the the Jack mentioned earlier, we don't even know the effects of technology yet. We don't even actually, we're, you know how early days the internet is? We're like 30 years in the internet. Okay, so what happened with the printing press? It unlocked and took away power from the church because now the church could, it was no longer the monopoly holder of knowledge of God. So what happened to Christianity? It splintered. Protestants used the ability to be like, you know what, we can read the Bible ourselves. We think you're interpreting it incorrectly, the Vatican, the Roman church. You might know a gentleman by the name of Martin Luther, German founder of Protestantism, right? So this is why the printing press, and this is what happened to the printing press. And 200 years after the invention of the printing press, you had the religious wars in Europe, which killed 30 years war. Count how many people killed were killed in 30 years war. This is what happens when information is distributed. I mean, this is like... This is an amoral judgment. That's a bad thing that happened, right? Millions of people in Western Europe died from the religious wars. And it all started from the printing press 200 years later. So that was That's me done wild. cooking. That was very good. Great job, Trunk. I don't have anything else to add. That was, I think that wins. Anything <laughs> else there? Well, you know, the only thing that came in my mind when you were explaining that was um, Starlink. You know why? Just like, I mean, it's still, there's still this massive centralization argument with that, right? It's one dude. But the idea of there are still controlled channels of information, there are like that technology sort of concentrates power in a way that maybe in some, in some ways, uh, in some ways implies a democratization of stuff, but it also is like, creates this massive reliance on very, very narrow, singular point failures, uh, things. So, uh, don't have time to go down the whole rant on that, but the like independently owned infrastructure for communication is still not censorship like thing, right? resistant. Right, right. Exactly. Very nicely put. Well, let me add a, let me add one last thought about what I didn't say about the printing press. What happens when you take the monopoly away from the church? You empower science. When did the scientific revolution mm -hmm. happen? In the 1500s, after they mentioned the printing press. So the power of the church is being just picked away at. And then you're allowing the flourishing of human knowledge. That's why the printing press is the most important invention. Let's scientific revolution. Good answer. So there we go. That was great. No, really, really good. All right, let's move on to the second question. Um, this is a fun one. This again, I think we can... Instead of us all giving an answer each, I think we can have a discussion and pick five people. So if there was a, a Shark Tank for NIA, you've all watched Shark Tank or Dragon's Den in the UK. But if it's that style TV show or internet show and you have to pick five judges, that roster, who is going to beat it? We're going to come up with these together real quick. Number one, we're obviously putting Sailor in that we know that's going to be just first of all, because my criteria for this is who's entertaining, who has a, a unique point of view that is interesting to listen to, but also entertaining, um, who understands the kind of world we're in. 
because this is for NIA audience. So that's kind of, and obviously, you know, people have known. So I'm starting obviously saying Michael Saylor because we need those those zingers, the sugar-powered Tesla yeah, cute, sugar cute. We need those zingers on the TV or YouTube. I have a few others, but I'll let you guys say anyone that's else coming answer. to mind. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're doing the draft right now. That's a great... Blah. Yeah. I love how you set this up, man. Very well I done. I have to say, this is an AMA question from me. I came up with this question. Or I heard okay. it somewhere um, else. Nice. And so I thought this it's kind of great. a fun discussion. So, so Jack, and also I'll say I'll also say living or debt. Like it, it could be someone in the past as well. Yeah, I have a uh, yeah. Jack, go ahead. And your your next pick. We're filling out the roster here, boys. So these are the five panelists that are hearing the are hearing the pitches. Yeah, the, the pitches. Am I understanding yeah. that? Right? NIA Shark Tank. Yeah. Uh, gotta hit Naval. We gotta get Naval on there. Oh yeah, that's a that's a good one. Would would be a nice contrast to Sailor as well. Contrast. Yeah. Now, could you imagine those two having? A, have they ever had a conversation? Those two. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. That. I don't know. Someone Bobby, must have done that. Would be, someone needs to create an to AI version it. of that at least? Just yeah. can you imagine the zingers back and forth? All right. Naval's next. I'll, and so right now we're doing a short list and we're going to decide together, but that's Naval. Tron, no, who's we, your you next pick? We should just slot. We're going through in five right now. Yeah, it, go, on, go, on, go on, go on. Rick Rubin. Rick Rubin. Oh, that's a good yeah. one. Okay. We're picking like, who are the patron saints of NIA, right? Is he guys that we, okay. who ideas we like? So, I mean, solid roster right now. Bilal, you're up. Yeah, let's just do two each. Okay, Rick Rubin is a good one. Okay. Um, okay, I'm going to throw Mr. Beast in there okay not necessarily okay. because i personally find him entertaining because i don't i've respect him a lot but i don't find him his style entertaining but to get that next generation and to get the youtube uh native audience involved i think he would be a good judge as well even just understanding certain parts of the new internet and video specifically i think he would be an interesting example and what do we say on it distribution wins and you, we want this NIA show to be successful. So he has the most distributions on YouTube. So I'm, I think he would be a good addition to the squad. It's a good one. That's a good one. Just give me, Trung, you go. Um, I will say, because uh, the, other th the other character that I've added is just like, what is like a good running joke for our show, right? Is like, yeah. is uh, who kind of represents either all of us or one of us? I'd say Robert Caro the biographer for the Lyndon B. Johnson books and the power broker. That's very because specific. He's a history that. guy. He's a history yeah, guy. Yeah, okay, right? history guy. Okay, See, that's it, what I mean. It's like, that's very, that, that's what about Dan like, Carlin, the hardcore history guy? Oh, Do you yeah. reckon he could Dan, be a good Dan, addition he could be. for he the history be. angle? But that's a good, that's a good shout. Yeah, that's okay. what I was thinking because uh, the Rick Rubin was like kind of all of us were into this kind of woohoo like yeah. uh, thinking. Well, uh, that's a good angle. And the other angle I'd add, and maybe Jack, this might bring some people to mind, is the hip hop culture angle. I got mine. I got mine. Go on. Kim Kardashian. Oh, there we go. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't say Andrew Tate again because I got a few comments about that. <laughs> Distribu comment. Distribution. Smart. We also need some women on there, by the way. I was about to say, uh, that's like a DEI pick right there. Yeah, that's yeah. a DEI no, I'm pick. Saying, I mean, you're also like the... That's a good pick. Uh the ability to evaluate an idea not based on its technical fundamentals, which is, you know, Maybe people talking as, about yeah. the the invention of the dam and the, you know, eagles knocking goats off mountains, you know, yeah, which I'm yeah, sure yeah. Kim Kardashian would be well versed in and has listened to. But 
in touch with consumer culture and in touch with 85% of the buying power in yep. the Northern. Oh, there we go. Okay, yep. great, great pick. I think that's Throw a good pick. Back Recent to the Harvard Business episode School. last week. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. All right, so that's, that's a pick, great boys. pick. I like that, Kim K. And then Trunk, uh, for both of you, I'm going to say I think we talk a lot about culture on the pod, and I think personally, there's lots of different parts of culture, but I think hip hop culture has a disproportionate impact on certain parts of society and the world. And cool from the music factor, fashion now as well with with streetwear, etc. And even uh, entertainment with a lot of the producers and stuff that's being made. So my, I would say we need one person to represent that. Now, I'll give a, a little short list and you guys tell me if anyone else comes to mind or if one of them fits. So I'd say Virgil Abloh, even though he's I was passed away. You took the words out of my mouth. I, yeah, yeah, I think Virgil will probably be it. There's also Jay-Z. That's a great one, yeah. Jay-Z is, you know, obviously still around and interesting. And then... I'm just going to throw 50 Cent in there just because he's on a roll right now. And he, he he's funny. Like, he says a lot of funny stuff. Oh, he's funny. Um, if Kanye West wasn't cancelled so yeah, much, that would have been ago. a good... Yeah, a few years ago, Kanye would have been oh, perfect for ingredient. that entertainment factor. But, like, you don't want to be getting cancelled. The show, the show needs to keep going. And also, with Kim there, you got to pick one or the other. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or you just go full send and put them both in. Get so I think on. the answer probably is Virgil, though, yeah? R.I.P. Yeah, recipes Virgil. You know, let's just pay yeah. respects to the man. All right, there we go. Exactly. That's the last one. And then, uh, oh, actually, and the last one I've got in there is uh, Old Matey, which is Arno. Um, <laughs> Bernard, Bernard yeah. Arno. So uh, I don't know if we got five there, but we did a few more. But I thought it was no, kind was of good. a funny, funny question. That was a just fun game. Uh, yeah. All right, let's keep it moving then, yeah? So I think that was a nice one. All right, starting professional career. We've talked about this a little bit before, so tell me if you have anything more to add here, boys. And if not, we can give a short one. Um, Someone asked, advice for someone starting their professional career, especially around diversifying risk. I'm very bullish on crypto, but feel I can invest in crypto while working on in an uncorrelated industry to diversify my bags. So I will say we've talked a lot about starting career and uh, career advice before. So this is specifically about diversifying risk. And if you've got an interest in, say, crypto, as especially as we're going into a bull run, what's your opinion on do you go all in and start working in it or do you do a little bit above? Any thoughts? I like the framing of the question because we had talked about this in the past. I just want to add one thing before Jack gets into his answer. Something that Jack had mentioned on a previous similar question was because I think we all started being like, oh, yeah, create media. Like build a brand. And then Jack actually says something to the effect of that's just a bubble for us, right? <laughs> it's just like that was just like not that be like we yeah. that's a world we live in. So uh that I just want to say like that's not gonna be my answer this time. I'm gonna actually give a CFA related answer after uh Jack uh, gives his answer on uh, this risk uh, mitigation thing. I think the answer is the only thing you could do to mitigate risk is to build skills that are transferable. Yeah. I just stop thinking about industry first and start thinking about, you know, competency first and uh, your inherent ability or, or how, how interested you are in certain things. Like for me, the idea of design as a tool to get a point across was always the th- the feedback loop that I got stuck in that was most interesting to me. And then crypto as a 
quote unquote industry happened to end up there because of I all like the that you put it in air my... quotes, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Industry. Well, I hate that. I hate that term. I hate yeah, the term yeah, yeah. when people say like industry, like oh, money is an industry, or like you know, that, like it's not an industry, is it? It's a it's a set of tools, a bunch of infrastructure that you would have to build something that people want. Like I'm not in the crypto industry. If anything, I'm in the design industry, and even design industry makes my toes curl too because everybody who makes anything is in the design industry, right? It's like all um, things when you come out of school or when you're young that you look at the world this way because you have to pick something and that's understandable, right? You want to go and like put your energy towards something and that's like a job title or an industry or something that you can focus on. But in many ways, when I look back at the stuff I've done, the secondary thing was the job or the thing that uh, the thing that or the person or the brand that I was doing it for. And the primary thing was like, what is the skill that I'm honing while I'm doing this? Like selling shit, right? You know, if you learn how to sell, Bilal, I think guys start in sales, like doesn't matter if you're selling haircuts or computer chips or houses or whatever it is you're doing, right? The set of principles that make you a good salesman remain the same be personable, understand what the problem is, articulate it in an incredibly compelling way, provide great service, blah, blah, blah. So this is not me trying to give a non-answer. This is me saying like, if you're interested in crypto, to in to interface with it in a meaningful way, you need a skill set that allows you to bring something to a team, a product, anybody that's building anything that... It's, it's merely an ingredient, right? Your ability to contribute is based on a skill set that would be valuable in another place. Uh, even if it's like hyper-technical, like even writing software, whatever you learn, writing software for X industry is going to be transferable for the most part, you know, principle-wise. Yeah. Like here is this, here's how information architecture works. Here's how you build a database. Here's how you do blah, blah, blah. Maybe the last 30% of that knowledge is customized. But if you're at the beginning of your career, you just want to be in an environment where you can be as effective as possible and be like get as much feedback from reality as possible. That's yeah. what I would optimize for. If I could go back, I would say like optimize for as much feedback as you can possibly get in the shortest period of time. And that will even help you figure out what you want to do. Like I worked in yeah. a industrial printers, being a salesperson and customer support, but I was just dog shit at it. Like I hated fielding these phone calls from people that are like, you just, you know, messed up my order, blah, blah. I was like, I'm not good at this. Like, I'm not going to force my, I already had some like design experience. I was like, man, imagine what it'd be like if I could just design stuff all day. I'm not like you field complaints. That, yeah. yeah. Field complaints for shit that I had nothing to do with in the first place. And some people are incredible at that and they should put themselves in that environment. But even going into an environment that doesn't fit your skill set or your desires is going to help you filter that out. Like the, you know, the Nassim Taleb via Negativa, you figure out what you want to do by removing the stuff that you don't want to do. So that's a ramble, but that would be my no, that's advice. Great. No, and tr- I'll just, uh, I, like that. Trang, I, like I know you well. had a CFA answer, but I'll just add really quickly to Jack's because as you started saying that, I literally wrote build skills in the doc as well. So I completely agree with what you said. I think the key answer to this is, um, is it really depends on the person, obviously. So that's a non-answer as well. But um, 
I'm assuming it's early in your career because you said starting professional career. If you had said I'm way into my career and I want to do X, Y, Z, I think the answer is completely different. So I think it really depends on the stage of your career, especially in the first, like, let's say five, 10 years is really about like the skill, like just build, maybe it's five years, like you, five years of solid work where you're really building one big tangible skill that you can go and take anywhere for me, that has been marketing or something like that, digital marketing. I could pretty much go into most companies, understand what they're doing and get them to grow through marketing or sales or partnerships. Jack obviously has that with uh, with design and all that sort of stuff. Trung has his versions of that as well. So it's just, I think that having that tangible thing gives you the ability to say, I can go add value kind of anywhere. That helps a lot. And then builds on what Jack said there around um, the industry to me is kind of, not secondary completely because I think it is important because I do think you want to be in an industry that has a lot of upside and growth potential is a big part of that. So not just uh, in terms of money and stuff like that, but also just you learn a lot more in a faster moving environment. So if you compare a crypto company or a startup, a tech startup versus, you know, Procter & Gamble, not nothing wrong with Procter & Gamble, but there's they've been doing the same thing for a very long time. And so the challenges you get there is a bit different. You're using new stuff and applying it to an older place. So it just, you might prefer that. For some people, they actually prefer that style of work. So it just depends on your interests and what you're most focused on. I don't think there's anything wrong with not working in crypto if you're into it. Keep buying it on the side, like you said, not investment advice. And uh, keep learning about it, keep playing with stuff, keep listening to the podcast and other podcasts to to uh, understand that world. And it might get to a point again where, to be honest, in the last bull run, how many of us were like, I'd, be, I'd work in crypto, you know, and I, I thought that at times as well. So I think maybe the time will come when that starts to feel like more of a pull, to, pull uh, not just like you have to run towards it, but like it's really pulling you in the direction. Uh, uh, Trung, what was your CFA answer or anything else to add, mate? No, I, I love uh, kind of the, I mean, we gave more general answers here, right? We didn't like directly answer it, uh, but I think that's good because uh, that's more applicable. No, just all I was going to say about the CFA stuff, and it was kind of mentioned, uh, I think actually the way you framed it, but somebody, did one of you guys mentioned Barbell? Like, uh, yeah, it's like, that's, a, that's literally the CFA, uh, like financial planning angle. It's like, what... Here, let me put it this way. When you study the CFA, the part that actually stuck out for me is this. is like, Do you actually know, for the average person, their most important asset is their their ability to earn, right? It's like, like people, you know, there's just mindsets like, hey, we can throw in some shit coins at 100x. But like, actually, just think about your actual earning potential is what will matter. Like, this is how the life insurance industry works, right? It's like, the, the, you get life insurance when you're young to compensate for the amount of income that you might learn over uh, earn over uh, expense of your life. So what that has to do with the risk angle is this. If you work in a really risky industry, you're going to want to counterbalance it somehow, right? Oh, yeah, so that's a good way actually, to put it, yeah. Yeah, no, these things, if you actually have, like, listen, I know a lot of people are, are in office jobs that suck. Like, I've done it. We've all done it. We didn't like that. That wasn't for us. But a lot of people in those situations... So what you should be doing, and we talk, we joke about this, is if you're in a, that type of thing where you get the steady pay, even if you don't like it, you can degen on the side because that thing you have, the core of it is financially not risky. And your life earning potential is financially not risky. So you could take risks in our other elements. So I put it like that. Yeah, no, that's a great way to put it, actually. 
Yeah, so so much of this is going to be so specific to the person, their stage of career, how much money they have, if they need, if they've got kids, like there's all these d different details, but I think we covered the best we can there. Great question. Nice angle. Uh, this one is for Jack. We were talking about um, this a second ago. This is a couple Jack-centric questions. Which design trends from 2023 are you hoping to see more of in Ooh, 2024? Good question. We're seeing across the board, and the second question, we're seeing across the board design improvements in virtually every industry. Better websites, better packaging, UI, UX improvements, and uniformity, etc. Presuming that AI-accelerated design tools and agencies clean up the rest of this low-hanging fruit in the next few years, what do you think the work of designers might look like in 2030? Pretty good question. They're two very different questions. So first one is design trends, what you what, what you want to see more of. Um, and the second one was about the future of if we if AI ends up cleaning up a lot of bad design, I guess, or something like that. So I, I don't know Yeah, if you have any thoughts on that, Jack. Man, the trends question is so hard. I think it depends. So it depends on where you work or what like what your specific focus is in design and when i like in ui specifically like when you're designing websites or when you're designing applications there are ux and ui patterns that are just like here's where people expect to see this button right this if you're going to design a, a site like the login button should be in the top right blah blah yeah. blah, blah and that the the paradox in this answer is like the less on trend it is the more interesting it might be right it's like people that are willing to do stuff that doesn't abide by any traditional pattern are the only people that are going to ever create something that sort of carves a new path or makes something new and interesting and, and eventually splinters off into new stuff so like almost i would give the opposite answer of like people who completely invert a trend are probably like I would like to see more of that. Like, and I think the commodification of the execution process in design maybe leads us in that direction anyway, right? Where you, where much less of the labor is in the actual production and more in the imagination. So, in theory, you should get more visual variance on the back end through that. But you could also make the argument that everything goes more monolithic and samey if it's coming out of the same llm Models, over and yeah. over again yeah i i don't know that's a hard question to answer but i like yeah, great. me personally having answer. access to these 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 models i've been able to do stuff in um software that was previously completely like completely gated to me behind five years of experience right like i wouldn't even attempt to learn this stuff so like, could you give an example john i'm curious what you mean like yeah i use um the when I did the Red Bull stuff, I used this library called P5, the JavaScript library where you can basically program uh, visual art. So you can set all the parameters and uh, output all these different variations of an algorithm that creates different types of art. And I would be able to like like a year ago, two years ago, I would be able to spec that to a developer and say, "Hey, here's the output I'm looking for. Can you like reverse engineer the code of this?" But now start from scratch describing that to chat gpt and along the way like adding a line of code at a time modifying this algorithm oh, piece wow. by piece by piece um even like it, there's there are all these things that are like in my mind that i want to get onto the screen or onto out into the world in some way that have been completely maybe even stylistically off limits for me because i don't have the 
as a designer, you get a style, right? You, about 10,000 reps, like you have a way of working that if you've done enough reps, people recognize your work as yours from a thousand paces away. Like I actually had this critique when I was in school. I might've talked about this on the pod before where when I came out of design school, my uh, teachers were always like, you you have to like diversify your style because you're going to have to work for one day you're working on a clothing brand. The next day you're working on a, you know, telecommunication company. You have to be out of various styles and it always looks like your stuff. And that was a critique then, but now it's like, I'm so Little glad did that they I know. stuck to it. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's interesting. I wonder if there were, like, there were people I was so jealous of at the beginning of my career because they could just, like, I would look at someone and be like, wow, that's, like, exactly what I would do if I could uh, mm. just, like, reverse engineer what I think it should look like, but it always came out in my style. So I hope that these tools create more variance in people's work, but the result remains to be seen, right? Because the the commodification and the like repetition of certain like every mid journey image looks like a mid journey image for example right it 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 amplifies your ability to make something but it also it's got this self fulfilling feedback loop that that makes everything look more and more similar so uh yeah it's kind of a non answer for that and then what was the second one uh sec- that was a good answer but uh so as AI is essentially accelerating those design tools and cleaning up the rest of this low-hanging fruit in the next few years, what do you think the work of designers might be in five, 10 years? Oh, okay. yeah. So what was it? So I, I think just while you're thinking about that, the thing you said there about imagination versus creation or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember production, exactly. Production, yeah. Production, yeah. That t- stood out to me because imagination is still a rare commodity in a way. Uh, yeah, and I'm yeah, curious, yeah. I'll be interested yeah, no, to hear I think your that's, approach on what AI might, can AI have imagination as well? I think or that's is that the answer. still the human part? Well, no, I think that's the answer. I think like the, the work of a designer is like, it changes the, like the, the set of eventualities at the beginning of the process, right? Like if you're pitching work, you're like, okay, I have, I'm going to pitch these three concepts. Here's the, ideas and it's going to take me this long to get a visual that represents the thing I'm trying to say. So we were going to a pitch meeting. It's like, you have to have the ideas cooked a week before, because then you have to either yourself sit down and make the image that represents the idea, or you have to hire somebody that's like storyboarding a commercial, for example, is like the five years ago, we were paying $1,500 a sketch to get like a 12 sketch storyboard for an ad now you can prompt that in and i haven't worked in a in a commercial environment like this for a while so i imagine this is already happening and if the person asking the question already doing this then i'm not really giving any new information but that's how i see it being different is way more like mental leverage versus like physical production work and then just the power law comes into play then where the best person at whatever now has this superhuman ability to leverage their imagination and create at speed for like i think this this example where i was able to build something in code that was previously impossible for me to do is an example of that where i have uh the ability to just put that out because i already built a network and the 
that as a an experience was very eye-opening in like what AI can do to augment your imagination as a designer. And this is this is not new, but like 20 years ago, you probably, uh, 15 years ago, Bilal, you probably remember this, 10 years ago, is like every company should be a design-centric company. It's like, yeah, no shit. Like it's a crazy yeah, yeah, yeah. thing that people like, Eventually, well, then you could insert out, any but... other word there, like tech enabled, AI enabled right. now, or like <laughs> right. we, there are no internet enabled companies. We're all internet companies. And it's like, yeah, right. not really. You're still selling Coca Cola. But no, but it depends on, uh, yeah, design, you're right, is different because you're, des you're designing something. You design some sort of product, aren't you? Yeah. So, like the idea of being able to convey your ideas faster with more scale, you know, more iterations, blah, blah, just everybody has access to this at the same time. So it feels to me like it just, you know, it just increases the volume and quality in the same way that like making a poster 80 years ago would be, you know, you're in, um, spending a month putting one letter block in next to the next one and carving out the next letter. It's like, it's crazy. Right? We always, yeah. I think we talked about this a few times. printing like, press. <laughs> exactly. There you go. We always say like, oh, uh, this is going to kill so many jobs, blah, blah, blah. But it's, it's just like, the amount we produce and consume just goes fucking exponential every time. Yeah. It doesn't seem to be... Uh, yeah, it just gives superpowers you know. to the people who know how to use it. We forgot to include this, but that great Paul Graham tweet where he quote tweeted the F1 engine. And he's like... Um, oh, the Mercedes. Incredible yeah. technology. Yeah, incredible technology often reaches its absolute peak right before it, it becomes obsolete, which is we'll just leave the conversation there. Cause I think that gives people a lot of things to think about, but it's uh, uh, like, that's almost a contrasting point where you think about technologies that are so ubiquitous and we don't see them ever going away. And then something gets introduced that is basically their death certificate. And then over the next few years, they're just gone. Um, F1, I actually don't know if that's a good example because it seems like that's just getting started. Uh, fandom wise but the combustion engine for the average consumer is probably on a, that was the getting reference. towards a downward slope yeah. yeah great way to summarize that all right let's do a, a couple more and then we'll wrap it here so this one was i can't remember who wrote this but um this was on psychedelics so tell me if you guys are right talking about this but it says not sure if this is something you guys would be comfortable speaking about uh, but curious to know where the three of you stand on psychedelics with substances like MDMA, psilocybin, ketamine becoming far less taboo, especially across the tech sector, regulation beginning to loosen, uh, to loosen and venture money pouring in. It certainly appears that we're in the early innings of a legitimate renaissance. How do you see this playing out? And is society ready for it? Um, I don't we kind of semi-touched on it. We kind of touched on it with trends, the, but we yeah. didn't. We, it's a, actually a good thing that we didn't good go deeper question, on yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Any thoughts, Trung? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, plain English podcast with Derek Thompson. Actually, had an interesting podcast uh, two or three weeks ago. It was with a Stanford professor that had done a study, as uh, Bilal mentioned, ketamine. Um, uh, the reason why ketamine's in the news is you guys remember. Uh, um, Matthew Perry from Friends. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he died. It turns out he had ketamine in his system, yeah. but it was for pharmaceutical treatment reasons. And it just wasn't mixing well or he had taken the wrong dosage. Well, sorry, so TLD, to, can uh, I just add on that? Because I read into that because I, I saw the headline sound like that. And then when you go into it, he was using that for therapy for yeah. treating depression, which is very common nowadays. And well, 
becoming more common prescribed but he was for, he, he was an addict so that was another part of he it he was an alcoholic and alcoholic like drugs, a lot of people uh, would say exactly. he shouldn't have ever been prescribed that and the second part was it sounds like the dosage was way more than just like what he was supposed right. to be doing uh, and it was like a week after his last one so i think it sounded like maybe he was taking it recreationally or or like out of the hours where he was supposed to be taking it and i think he had a k-hole and just uh drowned or whatever something like that it's i really think tragic. the uh the, the large underlining thing is i just want to add on what Bilal is saying he's like all of this just please for the love of god be careful talk yeah, to medical provider exactly right? like i mean that's the larger underlying current and the question itself it asks what are the risks so d there are clearly risks right is like um um, so Sam Harris, who I know Bilal has spoken on, uh, uh, we've all done Waking Up, right? We've all done the Waking Up podcast. Yeah. yeah. So Sam Harris is a big proponent of psychedelics, uh, MDMA, and uh, not like a big proponent. He's used it, but he's like, I think he, his whole point is that people should use these drugs uh, be, at least once or twice. Uh, they've pr been proven very good for treatments in like PTSD, post-traumatic stress syndrome for like uh, war veterans. And the reason Sam Harris pushes it is because uh, whatever you think about him, his waking up podcast, the whole point of it is about mindfulness, right? And just, I, I, I and he's a neuroscientist, right? Isn't he's that a neuroscientist. Background? Yeah. Yeah. He's just like, it, it basically can show you, this is a whole new way to think about the world, like uh, uh, identity, like seeing yourself outside of yourself. It's actually a very powerful thing. So yeah, I mean, what I've talked about in the past, I, I've done shrooms in the past. Uh, it's been a long time since I've actually done it. Um, uh, I did it in college uh, recreationally uh, with some buddies. Um, same with MDMA. Um, I haven't done it in a very long time. And what I would say is, it is uh, the treatments are becoming more legalized under the watch of medical professionals. Yeah. And it's for these aspects, though. It's like for treating PTSD, for treating depression, because they are finding that these massive breakthroughs like, with that. Yeah. yeah. They're doing something, right? They're rewiring chemical pathways. And, and uh, the one warning I'd have is, and Blah kind of mentioned it, is you kind of want to do a lot of these things with somebody that's done it before. Or, you know, a lot of these things are done under supervision because yeah. you see some wild shit if the dosage isn't correctly. And like you literally see some wild shit. And everyone shit. reacts differently, right? And like there's yeah. a lot, especially when it comes to... Um, like for this use case and so i'll just add really quickly i was actually listening to tim ferris kevin rose did a pod on tim ferris podcast tim ferris is big on this right he's done yeah yeah a lot he's of like done a lot of research. funding for it he's experiment both of them have and they were talking about i think ketamine therapy or something like that uh, and i know a few people i haven't done therapy with this but i know a few people who have and so the one thing i mentioned is My michael pollan has a book how to change your mind and if you don't want to read the whole book, watch the Netflix um, series. I, I really highly recommend it if you guys haven't checked it out. I think it's like four parts and each episode is a different one. So it's like mushroom, psilocybin, MDMA, and then there's a couple others. And they show real life examples of where they're using this for breakthroughs. And the, the one that stood out to me is quite an interesting one. Uh, I was actually speaking to a therapist friend about it. It's like literally two days ago. And just before I left New York, a friend of mine has left their normal regular career and becoming a therapist and one of the driving factors for that is because she had experimented with this sort of psychedelic stuff and with therapy and it changed her life basically um and so what she, she said is there's a lot of people were doing this thing where mushrooms can basically 
take that ego side away from you. So when you're talking to therapists, if you guys ever done it, half of the, the thing is just getting in the frame of mind where you can talk, go deep and talk about certain things, access parts of your brain memories that you might not have thought about for a long time or suppressed, etc. And so I think from my understanding that can help take the, take that guard away, take that guard down essentially. But for a lot of people, like for me and you, it might be fine, right? Because we might not have that crazy dark stuff. If you've been to war or you've been, you've seen your head, your friend's head blown off or like something crazy like PTSD, let's say, going deep can be really traumatic for you. So that's yeah. why in this example, they showed where they used MDM, uh, they used um, psilocybin to go deep with the supervision of that person to kind of navigate them through that maze, mental maze. But then they used the MDMA to kind of lift them a little bit because that's the, was it serotonin? Uh, I think that's how the treatment, yeah. Yeah, so that's, that gave them a little bit more of a lift so that they could actually approach that in a soft way and Dude, they could make a lot of progress right now man. yeah yeah it's just something I, i'm actually i want to do a few pods on it on crate lab eventually uh because this really seems really interesting uh i haven't really experimented too much with it in terms of um therapy stuff i have recreationally but um that's the other thing i'll say is there's some people who just want to hear oh drugs can be good for you therefore and just go like go crazy on some stuff right like it doesn't mean you go and do a bunch of mushrooms or mdma and your life is fixed it, it can be used as a tool and uh, and the other thing is i think getting it therapeutically done is a big upgrade because you're not getting some random stuff cut in there right like a lot of recreational drugs have all sorts of crap in there so you got to be careful with that sort of stuff Let so yeah my, jump yeah Sorry, I was just going to say, I wanted to jump on something you said and then one comment and one pass it, Jack, but do you want to finish your thought? No, the last thing I was just going to say is my overall summary of it is I'm very curious and seems like there's a lot of good good there that I'm curious to explore more. Uh, but with all these things, there's a lot of downsides too. So I'm, I know that there's going to be another story where we're like, oh, that person, it, may, it went in the wrong direction for them. And there's, when, as more people do it, you're going to get both of those examples. But I think yeah. it's a massive unlock for society if we, if we get there. I, I totally agree with the assessment or with the addendum on the risk. And uh, the thing I want to jump on specifically, you said was the ego thing, because that's what Sam Harris always talks about, right? Is like, it's actually when you realize in his whole position, I know a lot of people won't agree with it. He's like, when you watch the watchers, what he says, you you realize that like, there, there is no actual identity there. It's like, it's it's kind of the self, driven yeah. into you, the idea of the self. And actually doing, for him, doing these drugs is actually the best way to illustrate to anyone because you'll get... You, you, you get certain, access to that, right? Yeah, you'll get access, certain chemical pathways will hit and then you'll realize it's like, oh, Every way I've thought my entire life, this three hour like period, I'm going through this like the high is not the right word. It's like whatever it is. Experience like, or whatever. It, the experience is like, wow, there is literally another way to look at the self, right? So that's what I wanted to jump on yours, the Sam Harris part. The thing I want to add before we ask Jack about this was uh, is on the business side because uh the question did ask about venture funding. What I would say about the business size, I think like if, we're, if you're looking like a pure business analysis on this, I don't actually think it's a good business. It's because if you have one breakthrough, you're done, right? This is like the problem that dating apps have and the tension they have. What's the problem with a lot of dating apps or what is kind of a, a problem? If you get and you match somebody perfectly, they don't need your app anymore, right? Because they got to get that SaaS subscription yeah. model going, bro. Yeah. They got to get the, the second the call Stanley Cup. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. No, you need the the biweekly maintenance dose for people. No, that's but the, I, I that's know what you're saying. You see what I'm saying? It's like I, I think there's no- more use cases though where. It, it, People could, it's the same way some people will still go to therapy forever, sure. not just for that one breakthrough. But you're right, maybe the, but the how big, that's how like with that breakthrough. It's not like cigarettes, right? Like cigarettes, you're smoking a pack a day. Like that's what I mean. It's like yeah, yeah, how good you. of a business is it actually? So that's yeah. it. Uh, no, that's, that's a good, good, that. good, good point. Jack, Jack any other thoughts, thoughts? Uh, on, on that front? I might just dilute that that conversation, boys. Uh, that was good. <laughs> you boys made a great no, that point. Was great. I think it's, yeah, the, the like interacting with it in a way that doesn't uh, permanently adjust your reality in a way that you do not want it to is the mm. huge risk. Yeah. And for a lot of people, that's a fucking massive risk. That's so a big, that's, where that's, true, well, right? that's a good point because like that, again, I won't go into personal conversations that I think we've talked about some of these things in the past. And one of the things that stood out was there's a difference between someone who really needs a change but if you're generally feeling pretty good and you're pretty happy and you're feeling content and things are going pretty well like you might not want to be changing your brain state too much or like messing around with it you know so whereas there's other people who are really struggling um and like that can make them you know have a massive impact on them so yeah that that's uh be careful is it be careful away? yeah yeah mm-hmm. that is yeah. that is a uh, advice that one thing we'll share all right boys i think we're gonna have to call it here i think that was a yep. good way to amazing wrap it up um we had even more but we'll would again save those for we another also, time i know people enjoy these yeah so. yeah this was really i, I think this was really fun one. i enjoyed that a lot um, anything else boys before we wrap it up we'll see you guys in a couple of weeks no, that, was great. No, that was great see you guys in two weeks yes. thank good you marathon uh, marathon yeah, session enjoy, enjoy London mate alright man yeah we'll see you guys yeah that just to give people a heads up we had to record this early because I'll be flying uh, as usual the next day so uh, alright we'll see you guys uh, on next week's episode and uh, appreciate all the support see you soon bye bye peace out